Welcome to a Higher Way podcast. This is a place of shared stories and experiences where we have open discussions ranging from subjects like psychedelics, spirituality, astrology. We talk about healing from trauma, divorce, addiction, energy work, the afterlife. We get into family shit and lots more. Each episode is built on the foundation of authentic expression and vulnerability as the keys to living as our most creative and fully expressed selves. Here at A Higher Way with Tay, we believe that healing is an inside job. Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of A Higher Way with Tay. I am Taylor Taylor, and I have no idea what the fuck I am doing. I can't believe that this is actually happening. It's truly one of the scariest and most exciting things I've ever done. It's been a dream of mine to have this podcast for a while now, and it's finally coming to fruition. So I'm excited and scared. And again, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So please bear with me as I figure out the ins and outs of this whole process. My intention for a higher way really is to just create something real and to share of myself authentically and with vulnerability, because that's the only way about my experiences and my interests and my curiosities on this so-called spiritual path. So I really want this first episode to serve as an introduction to who I am and to just kind of energetically create a space for interesting spiritual conversations that spark curiosity or challenge our old thought patterns and belief structures. And ultimately that just helps remind us that there is more to this life, so much more than what meets the eye. So with that being said, I've entitled this first episode, Pins on a Map. And that concept came about in therapy for me a couple years ago as this idea that like, if we look back on our life as a series of important events that shape our destiny, we often think right away of moments like graduating college, meeting our spouses, choosing our career path, having kids, Instead, I would challenge you to think of some of the more subtle events, like maybe they seemed less significant at the time, that shaped who you are as a spiritual being, that shaped who you are as an emotional being. Because as they say, like we are just spiritual beings having a human experience. And for me, there's been moments in my life when I think back on them, and this is what I was coming up with in therapy, like I could look back and say, wow, okay, I would, I would place a pin there. I would place a pin there on the map of my development, of my destiny as a spiritual being. Even if at the time I didn't know or understand or appreciate at all the significance of that particular experience. So today I'm going to share with you some of those events for me. So to begin, I am a triple air sign. I am a Libra sun, a Libra rising, an Aquarius moon. I wouldn't say that I'm very grounded in the practical things, and that's just my astrologic design. I was born in California. When I was five, we moved overseas to a country called Papua New Guinea. It's in the South Pacific Ocean, and it's the jungle. And we lived there until I was 12 years old. And while we were there, when I was around, I don't know, eight or nine, I had what I can remember as being kind of like my first spiritually significant moment. And I remember I was messing around with some books on my parents' bookshelf. 
My parents are huge readers as am I, and we always had tons and tons of books in our house. And I was just kind of like screwing around and pulling different ones off the bookshelf and flipping through them. And I found this book and it was called Out on a Limb. This book came out in 1983. It was written by the actress Shirley MacLaine. So she's probably most well-known for her role as Wheezy in Steel Magnolias, which, by the way, is my favorite movie of all time. I love Steel Magnolias. But in the 70s and 80s, she was a really, really famous like Broadway dancer, and she won an Oscar for her acting. But she wrote this book in 1983, Out on a Limb, and it was really kind of her memoir about her spiritual life. And she called it out on a limb because at the time, celebrities were not talking about like spiritual practices and stuff like that. She was really kind of going out there talking about things like the Akashic Records and Edward Casey and going to Nepal and meditating. So she wrote this book all about like her kind of like woo woo spiritual life. And I just happened to be like flipping through it at eight or nine. And I got to this part of the book where she was describing an experience where she had gone to Nepal, she was meditating, and she had this experience of like feeling some energy inside her body during her meditation that felt really strong and kind of scary. And she felt like she wasn't ready for it. And she like shut it down. And I just remember so vividly reading that passage of the book and thinking to myself, oh, I, I know what she's talking about. I've had that experience before. But obviously at eight or nine, I mean, I hadn't. I was clearly like not a meditator. I wasn't meditating. But I just remember having the first of many moments in my life of experiencing what felt like a memory of something that I also knew I had not experienced. And the only way I can describe it is it's like a cellular memory moment. So the memory of it wasn't necessarily in my conscious recollection. It was in the cells of my body. So I read this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I know what she's describing. I know that awaking of energy in the body that she's talking about. And I just kind of like closed the book and put it back on the shelf and didn't really think anything of it after that. Also around that time, you know, probably when I was like five till I was about 10 or 11, I would have really, really intense dreams. I actually like sleep talk and would sleepwalk. And I know a lot of kids will experience that when they're little and then grow out of it at a certain age. And I've always kind of wondered like why that is. I mean, personally, I feel like the dream state is a little bit like the spirit world, you know, and for kids, the veil is thin and sleep is an opportunity to sort of like cross that threshold between one reality to another. And I think as we get older, we just naturally close that gap a little bit, I guess. But for me, I just remember, oh my gosh, always having very vivid dreams. And they, I felt like I had symbolism in my dreams and like I got messages and you know, that has continued my entire life. I know some people are born with psychic gifts. I certainly don't have any, but I do know that what I have with my dreams is, is a gift. And the only way I can describe it is like, I do kind of go to the spirit world and it was a lot more intense when I was younger. And I think that's why I would like sleep, walk and talk. So 
I don't know, but it was something that I have carried with me throughout my life and was very, very intense for me when I was younger. So we came back to the States when I was 12 and we had been living in New Guinea. And if you guys have seen that movie, Mean Girls, like with Lindsay Lohan, where she was living in Africa and then she comes back to the States and starts high school, it was very much like that. Except for me, it was like fifth or sixth grade. I had been living in the jungle. I was completely like out of touch with what girls my age were wearing or listening to or even into. And it was a super awkward reintroduction, culturally speaking, but also just at that awkward age. Also, I had this like horrible perm. Oh my God, you guys. I had like, it was like short hair and it was permed. Oh my God. It was that perm was traumatic. Okay. Like we were going to talk about what childhood trauma, like there you go. That perm. Oh my God. Did me no favors. So we're back in the States and I think it was like sixth grade that at school we read the book, The Giver by Lois Lowry. So I have heard that that book is on the banned book list now, which is crazy to me because that book absolutely changed my life. And I just remember reading it and being like, holy shit, how are we not talking about stuff like this? Like, it was the first book that made me look at life and be like, question kind of like, what is reality or like the structures of our society? Why are things the way they are? It made me question and consider and opened my thought processes to other things. It was a wonderful book. And if you have not read it, or even if you read it back when you were in elementary school and haven't read it since, I would really encourage you read it again. It's not a super hard read. It's relatively short. I just picked it up and read it again um, a few months ago for the first time in like 10 years. And again, it's, it's incredible. And it was a huge expander of consciousness for me at such a young age. I absolutely loved it. And I'll never forget how I felt when I read that book. So got through elementary school, hit middle school. And for me, that's when, you know, some periods of ebbs and flows of chaos really began. It was like the beginning of becoming detached from my connection to myself and my body. And listen, I mean, there comes a time where we all disassociate, okay, with our sense of self. That's part of growth. That's part of the development of us as humans. But for me, it was like the more that gap widened, the more I just became kind of untethered. And I certainly wasn't searching for like purpose at that time, but I was definitely looking for validation and worth in all the wrong places. So by the time I finished high school, I was moving around a lot. I was partying a lot as we all were, but you know, I never did any psychedelics. And the irony kind of is sometimes now I look back and wonder like if I had found psychedelics sooner, maybe I would have gotten my shit together sooner. Like, isn't that ironic? If you think about what we're told about drugs and you know, mushrooms. And it's like, I sometimes I think like, what would have happened to me if during that period of time, 
I ate like a heroic dose of mushrooms, you know, what, what would have changed for me in the course of my life? But the truth is I wouldn't have approached it with the right intention to make it spiritually meaningful. So, you know, there's a reason for everything and it just wasn't the time for me. So it was around the age of, I guess, 19, that two very significant and faded events occurred for me in my life. The first was I got my dog, Brewster. So Brewster, or Rudy, as I called him for short, I got when I was working at this vet in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I was young. I didn't have a car. I was like riding my bike around all the time, partying. I had no business getting a dog, let alone a dog like Rudy. He was five days old when I got him. He was the runt of his litter. He was a Pekingese, a white Pekingese. And at five days old, as you can imagine, like I had to bottle feed him. I had to stimulate him to go to the bathroom. It was a lot of responsibility that I was definitely not prepared to take on. But the bond I had with this little dog was indescribable. He was like my baby. And I loved him so, so much. And within like truly a couple weeks of getting Rudy, I met Nick. So Nick was six foot nine. Um, He was a Cancer Sun, a Capricorn Moon, and a Libra rising with his ascendant at 19 degrees of Libra. I am also a Libra rising with my ascendant at 15 degrees. So both our ascendants conjunct or on each other um, in the sign of Libra, which you guys, I mean, we were very karmically pulled together. And Nick was this very tall, actually his nickname was Big Guy, but he was also like a gentle giant and people have referred to him that way many times. Something in him felt familiar to me. And it was again, kind of that cellular memory moment of like, and again, I don't, I don't think I consciously knew this at the time, but we were so karmically drawn together and we fell in love. And between Nick and me taking care of Rudy, things calmed down for me a little bit. Like being with Nick stabilized the chaos a little. And the three of us lived together and we ended up moving to Southern California together. And we stayed together ultimately for about six years. And we had some wonderful years in Southern California. Nick was a surfer and a musician. And we had some really incredible times like living that simple young life at the beach and enjoying our time in California. And we had some really incredible years, but then towards the end of our relationship, you know, we ended up going through one of those really painful, like on again, off again periods that was so hard for us both. And I know at the time I was really struggling with my love for him, but feeling like I wanted to do something with my life, but I wasn't sure what, And we just felt, I felt like we were on different trajectories and we would do this breakup, get back together, breakup, get back together. And finally, when we broke up for good, it was so, so painful for both of us. And again, going back to kind of that like karmic bond, even though that 
the end of our relationship was necessary, it was devastating for both of us. And after we broke up the last time, he ended up moving back to Florida and I stayed in California. And when I think back about that time, sometimes I wonder if we knew somehow like deep down that that would be the last time that we would ever see each other again on this earthly plane anyway. And I will touch on that a little bit later, but we had broken up. I was going through the pain of that. He'd gone back to Florida and I made the decision that I was going to go to nursing school. And I just threw myself into school. And I think back about that period of time and I can look back at nursing school as like this time period of just perfectionism and grief. I know at times in my life when I don't feel anchored or grounded in my life, I can become controlling and like hyper-disciplined. I think that comes from my South Node and Capricorn qualities. And honestly, you guys, the North Node and South Node in astrology are so fascinating. They represent like the South Node is what you come into this life with and kind of like your karmic past. And then your North Node is like who you're evolving to become. So that South Node in Capricorn for me, the that rigid discipline, that perfectionism, it's it's something that I have to try to learn to let go of. And yet we'll kind of like creep in, like I said, at times when I really don't feel anchored or grounded, when life feels a little bit out of control for me. So that's what comes to mind for me during that period of time of nursing school was really just, uh, I was so hard on myself and it was my way of dealing with the end of my relationship. But by the time I graduated nursing school, I took my nursing boards and I decided, okay, I'm finished with school. I'm going to go on a vacation to visit my friend who was living in Charleston, South Carolina. Never been there before. Got on a plane to come out for spring break. And you guys, right away, I had that experience again, that cellular memory moment. But it was like the landscape was familiar to me. Charleston called to my soul. I was only here a couple of days of that vacation when I knew this is where I'm meant to be. Like even a part of me felt like I had a memory of living here and I'd never even been here before. There was just no question. It was undeniable. I need to go back to California. I need to save money. I need to pack my car. And Rudy and I would ultimately drive cross country and end up relocating to Charleston. So that first year of living in Charleston, it was like the release valve from the pressure I had put on myself in nursing school was open. And honestly, you guys, I just went buck wild. I was approaching my Saturn return at the age of 29. So everybody goes through a Saturn return between the ages of like 27 and 30. And a Saturn return is when Saturn, the planet Saturn, returns to the same place in the sky as it was when you were born. So it's a like 29-ish year orbit. And when it returns to that same place in the sky as it was when you were born, it stays there for, you know, about two to three years. So a Saturn return is like your astrological kind of like becoming of age. Often 
challenging, um, super, super important for your development. And it was a couple months into my Saturn return when I met Billy, Billy Taylor. So Billy is an Aquarius sun, which is in the sign of my moon, my Aquarius moon. And his moon is an Aries, which is opposite my ascendant in Libra, like exact. So that's a wonderful aspect, you guys. It's one that's actually often seen in marriages. But for me, again, I had that experience where I felt like he was familiar. I felt like right away, like a part of me knew him and knew all the parts of him. And we fell in love quickly. And I just knew like, this is my person. This is the person I'm supposed to be with. It felt easy. And again, it was like that familiarity deep down. And again, kind of like how Nick did, Billy calmed me down a little bit. And some of that chaos from like that, you know, pressure valve opening, some of that chaos subsided. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it was temporary, but it was a great period of time when we first moved in together and we got engaged and we were very, very happy and very, very in love. And we ended up getting married about a year and a half later. So Billy, Rudy, and I living together, starting this you know, new life. And around that time is when I started practicing yoga. So I started my very first yoga classes at the gym. I mean, I wasn't going to like a fancy yoga studio. And it really took me a while to be able to be like that present and grounded in my body. But as I was going to yoga, I felt it changed me and it continues to change me 10 years later. But practicing yoga got me back in my body. And truly the body is the home of the soul. And I didn't really have any connection to mine. I think in some ways I had silenced that inner voice of my body by years of like not hearing or listening to what it needed or by feeding it Adderall and fucking cigarettes and too much Pinot Grigio and pushing it to its limits with exercise or extreme dieting. And it was like the communication center where my body and soul share information was just shut the fuck down. And that connection, you guys, is so important to be able to hear the subtle cues from my body and also to care enough to honor them. That took me years to rebuild and to repair. I think I just didn't have the tools to adequately express myself or feel that I was heard sometimes. And all that anger and frustration was just not released from my body. It was swallowed or held in. And sometimes it came out sideways. It was pushed down and carried in the tissues of my body. So it really wasn't until yoga that I could physically and energetically feel that old stagnant energy find a release, release through the breath, through the asana, through the sweat, through the movement. And even now today, like if I go to yoga and they tell us, you know, set an intention before class, it's always help me release where energy or emotion is blocked in my body. So what's kind of crazy, it was actually in yoga that I had my first, like what I would call psychedelic experience 
obviously not on any substances, but I had an experience once in yoga during Shavasana. And for those of you that don't practice yoga, Shavasana is the deep relaxation at the end of the practice where you lay down on your mat and you have gone through the process of the physical poses and you rest. And it was in that rest where I was kind of at that in-between state of like being awake and falling asleep. And I had this vision of myself as an atom that was spinning in the depths of outer space and that that is all that I am and all that there is. Me as this small spinning atom in the outer vastness of outer space. And I remember like being like, but I don't like that. I don't believe that. But I also simultaneously had this experience of feeling extreme peace that that was all that there was and that that is all that I am. It's so interesting, you guys, because it really is my belief that our spiritual paths are really about the path home to ourselves. Like the path to the self and the path to God, in my opinion, are one and the same. And my teens and 20s were just so far out of myself that it wasn't until I turned the focus inward that my path to God, to the so-called spiritual path, began to deepen. And the answer is always like, start there, start inside. That's why I say healing is an inside job. Coming home to myself became a practice when I found yoga. So the early years of our marriage, Billy's drinking became something that we were dealing without dealing with without really knowing, I think, at the time that what we were dealing with was untreated alcoholism. So I want to be very careful in talking about some of this because it is Billy's story to share, and it's an incredible story. And he and I have talked a little bit, and I think that he is willing to come on here and share some of that and share his story and his experience. So I want to be careful where I honor that and let him speak about it. But at the same time, I can touch on and say, we were having a really hard time. Um, I don't necessarily think in those early years of our marriage that we knew that Billy was an alcoholic, but he certainly was. And, you know, it was around the time that I got pregnant with Thomas, which we were very excited about and had been trying and planning for. Um, it was in my pregnancy that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And I, I can really tell you, like, it's no surprise to me that I got that diagnosis because that area of your body, the throat, you know, the throat chakra, the home of creativity and expression and being able to speak your truth and feel heard, that energy center was so damaged and so blocked for me. So it's kind of no surprise that that's where disease ended up manifesting. And my Hashimoto's was pretty severe by the time it was diagnosed. The thyroid was covered in scar tissue. If you think about it, it's like, you know, my body, they say the body keeps the score. And 
for me, the development of my Hashimoto's was where my body was keeping the score. And it was right there in that energy center of expression and speaking my truth and feeling heard. So by the time Thomas was born, I was so happy with coming into that role as a mother. He was such a great little baby. And I felt like very natural in my mothering. And I remember we came home from the hospital with Thomas and he was seven days old and I was sitting on the couch. I'll never forget where I was sitting in this moment. It was exactly one week from when he was born. And I got the phone call that Nick had passed away. So Nick was in Florida and he had been dating this girl who had a crazy ex-boyfriend who did not want them together. And this guy came over and shot and killed Nick and he died. And it was devastating for me. But also it happened at a time where I had just come home from the hospital with my baby, with my newborn baby. And I almost felt unable to handle the grief from it. And I don't know if I ever really properly grieved his death in those early years. It was so awful and so traumatic, but I had to take care of my small baby and I couldn't allow myself to even really feel some of the feelings that I had. I just had to, like the mama in me took over and I just had to concentrate on my baby. And the grief of that got pushed inside my body and not really dealt with until years later. So after Thomas was born, Billy's descent into alcoholism really got worse. And he started the process of trying to get sober when Thomas was a small baby. And it was a process. And during that time, I started going to a 12-step program that is for families and friends of addicts and alcoholics. And it's a spiritual program. So I really felt like between yoga and then going to this these meetings and learning the stuff that I was learning in there was an incredible spiritual practice for me. I also started therapy and I was working on myself. I was trying to work on my marriage. But Billy's alcoholism, it just got worse as it does. You know, addiction is a progressive disease. And as much as he was trying to stay sober, he he just couldn't. So I believe it was in 2017 that something happened. And this is when Rudy died. So when Rudy died, he was almost 15 years old. I had got him when I was like 19 or 20. And he died when I was 35. So that period of time that he and I were together, that chunk of life that we spent together, uh, it, it was like not having him. Uh, I couldn't, my heart couldn't handle it. My grief in losing Rudy absolutely accelerated my spiritual awakening. And I do believe that Rudy and I together 
like part of the purpose he served in my life was to be that catalyst for my awakening. And the grief that I felt when he died also brought up some of the sadness and undealt with grief I had about Nick dying. But I just threw myself into my yoga. And I remember that was when I read the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And in that book, he talks about meditation and Paramahansa Yogananda. So I started these really deep meditation practices and I was reading autobiography of a yogi. And then I started taking lessons like these home study lessons from the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is Paramahansa Yogananda's um, center. And I completely threw myself into my spiritual practices. And it was during that time that Nick began appearing in my dreams. So coincidentally, during all of this, Billy is struggling with his path to sobriety. Things are starting to really just become a little chaotic. And all I had at that time, you know, was like, I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm working on myself. I'm going to these Al-Anon meetings and I'm working on my own issues and I'm going to therapy. And I also just felt like Nick would come into my dreams and he wouldn't even say anything. He would just be there like as this in the corner. I can't even really describe it, but it's continued forever for me. I feel like he's, I don't want to say even like guardian angel because I feel that sounds cheesy, but there's no question that Nick's been able to reach me in my dreams. And I can't tell you how desperately I would look for Rudy in my meditations or in my dreams. But for whatever reason, it's Nick that's been able to come through. Always is just this reassuring presence that he's there and okay and watching out for me. So during that time, I also started to study the teachings of Ramdas. And Ramdas became probably my first and one of my most important spiritual teachers. What's interesting is like at that time, studying Ramdas and going to Al-Anon, they were both kind of teaching the same thing because Al-Anon really embodied what Ramdas taught, which was the best thing someone can do for me is work on themselves. And the best thing I can do for somebody that I love is work on myself. And to this day, that's a concept that I really value and believe in that truly the most loving thing we can do for the people that we care about is work on our own selves. And if somebody really loves me and wants the best for me, the best thing they can do is just keep working on themselves. So I love that that's a practice that Al-Anon taught that was also in these teachings of Ramdas that I was really investing myself in. So Billy went to rehab a couple times. And during that time, I was trying to manage taking care of Thomas. And we were, Billy and I were trying to stay together, but his addiction was worsening. And it was during one of his rehab stays that I remember somehow, some way, and I don't remember how it happened, but I heard about this medicine called ayahuasca. 
I think I was probably watching a documentary or something because again, at that time I was really deep on my spiritual path. I mean, anything woo woo like shows or documentaries or books. I, I mean, it's not a surprise to me that ayahuasca came up somewhere because that's the kind of stuff I was reading and I was into, but ayahuasca is a, a brew that's from the Amazon. It's made from a combination of a, a vine and a, a shrub that's brewed together to make a, like a tea that's used as a medicine in the Amazon. And they say that when you are ready to drink the medicine, that the medicine will find you, that it will call you. And I know that sounds a little out there, but I can promise you guys that that was my experience. Like I have no idea how, why, when, where, that call came, but it absolutely did. I heard about this medicine. Billy was in rehab. It was like I had that cellular memory moment again. I was reading about people who were going to the Amazon and drinking this medicine under the close supervision of like highly trained shaman and healing trauma. And I felt like in my body and in my cells, I almost had a memory of the experience and I hadn't even done anything remotely close to it at this point. But what's kind of interesting is in the study of ayahuasca, they do say that like the medicine itself, it is a memory of creation. It is a concentrated drop of nature, which is where we all come from. So I don't know if at that time that, experience that I was having of feeling the memory of it was like an actual memory of maybe drinking this medicine in another lifetime, or if it was just connecting to that part of me that is creation. And this medicine is just a part of that. It is a part of nature. So I remember thinking when Billy was in rehab, well, okay, my husband's in rehab. I have this small baby. I can't just like jet off to the Amazon and, you know, drink this medicine there. But the call was so loud that I knew, okay, when the time is right, it's going to happen for me. But I desperately, desperately, desperately wanted to go as soon as I could. Well, Billy came home from rehab and unfortunately he was not able to stay sober very long. And during this time, there was a planetary transition of Saturn, um, which we talked about earlier, making those slow transits, right? Where Saturn went into the sign of Aquarius from 2020 and it will end in March, 2023 when it moves into Pisces. So this is a transit. Okay. That happens for everybody. Everybody experiences Saturn in Aquarius because that's where it's stationed during this period of time. How it's different for people depends on what house Saturn lands in for you during that transit. So for me, Saturn was in my fourth house or my house of home and family and has stayed there from where it began in 2020 to when it moves into Pisces in March, 2023. And all I can say is it was like Saturn came in like a wrecking ball. So my divorce happened in 2019. I moved like three or four times during the Saturn transit. And it was 
and has been the most difficult time of my life. The separation and divorce from Billy was absolutely heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, devastating, dark night of the soul for me. And it like divorce is hard for anybody, but watching somebody that you love fighting the demons of addiction simultaneously was a pain that I cannot even describe. And as our divorce was finalized, I felt like now is the time that I need to go and I need to drink ayahuasca. I have to do it. This is like now or never. And I did my research and I found a place in Costa Rica called Rhythmia. Rhythmia is the only licensed medical plant medicine facility that exists in the world. I did a lot of research about who is the shaman there? What is the lineage? Like what is in the medicine that he brews? Like what is the tradition that he comes from? And that's so important, I think, when you're dealing with a medicine like ayahuasca, because it is a psychedelic. It is a very, very strong psychedelic. But more importantly than all that, you guys, it's a medicine. It's a medicine for humanity. But also, it's not necessarily for everybody. And that's why I say, anytime anybody asks me about it, I'm like, you have to be really honest with yourself about, do you feel called to it? Or are you just kind of curious? It's really important to know and to honor that call. And I think that goes with any of the medicines that come from this earth, like that intention that is behind sitting with some of these medicines is absolutely important because it's also that intention that will often dictate what type of experience that you're going to have. Because with ayahuasca, especially, you know, you can go there and you can drink it and it's going to show you who you are. And if you're not like willing to see that, it's going to be a rough time for you. So I think that the buildup for me, like, so I put the deposit down to go to Rhythmia in January, 2020. And guess what happened a month or two later, COVID. So Rhythmia ended up shutting down and did not reopen again until December, 2020, which is when I finally got to go. So it was that whole year that felt to me like, oh, why are these delays happening? Why can't I just go? I need to be there so badly. I have so much healing I want to do. But the truth is that during that year, I was really cultivating that intention and I was cultivating that study of myself and the study of the medicine too which was so, so influential on my experience when I got there. So I think that's where I'm going to end today because, oh my gosh, you guys, talking about ayahuasca is going to be an episode all on its own, but it's a good stopping point for this first episode. And I really just want to say that I think when you hear me talk about my experiences with ayahuasca, I would ask that you just keep an open mind because I know like our society dictates a lot of times our knee-jerk reaction to like, what is a drug or, you know, 
just let me tell you my experience before you have an opinion about what it is. That's all I ask. So anyway, that's where I'm going to leave off for today. And my hope is that every time I end an episode, I'm going to leave you with a quote that has a little to do with the subject matter we talked about. And today there's a beautiful quote I want to share by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says that the mind, once stretched by a new idea, never returns to its original dimensions. And I really think that captures perfectly the subjects that I've talked about today. And that's where I'm going to leave off for today. I can't wait to pick up again for episode two. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening and being here and supporting A Higher Way with Tay and supporting me. And I really look forward to talking some more with you next episode. Talk to you soon.